Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Shiva Mosavarian, and joining me today for a discussion about severity of psoriasis and the treatment of high-impact sites, which includes the scalp, face, hands, feet, or genitalia, is dermatologist Dr. Andrew Blauvelt investigator at Oregon Medical Research Center, which is a small business based in Portland, Oregon, dedicated to performing high-quality clinical studies in dermatology. Dr. Blauvel is an international leader and senior investigator for many current and upcoming treatments for psoriasis. He's also the chair of the MPF Medical Board, as well as a board member of the International Psoriasis Council, which together are leading the way in the reclassification of severity in psoriasis. He is the lead author on a recent journal of psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis article titled Psoriasis Involving Special Areas is Associated with Worse Quality of Life, Depression, and Limitations in the Ability to Participate in Social Roles and Activities, which we'll discuss today in relation to the severity of disease. Dr. Bovell is in the top 1% of cited scientists in the world. Welcome, Dr. Bovell. Such an honor having you back on Soundbites. Let's start right in with a discussion about psoriasis severity and the traditional use of body surface area, or BSA. Psoriasis has typically been assessed using less or greater than 10% body surface area to help define mild, moderate, and severe disease. Can you explain how this classification is used to traditionally determine treatment choices? Well, this is a great start. This is a great question because it's very controversial, actually, Shiva. So the historical use of body surface area, and in particular, 10% involvement was established over 20 years ago, and it was established for entry criteria for getting into a psoriasis biologic trial. So in the early days of the biologics, in the early 2000s, the FDA determined that at least 10% body surface area involvement should be a criteria for getting in. And one of the reasoning for that was that the FDA at that time believed that psoriasis was more of a cosmetic disease and that anyone with less than 10% really did not warrant the use of a systemic agent like a biologic, which contained risks. And so their view was the benefit to risk ratio was low, or another way of looking at it, the risk to benefit ratio was too high for someone with relatively little surface involvement with their psoriasis. Now, the problem with it in the controversy is that it hasn't changed in over 20 years. And we now know many things about psoriasis, its effect on people's quality of life, on their internal health. And 10% is considered one criteria for more severe disease. So another way of saying it, I think is limited psoriasis versus extensive psoriasis. I I prefer those terms better because what we're seeing now is people with limited psoriasis or lower body surface area involvement can have severe psoriasis and defined by the thickness of the plaques, the impact on the quality of life, 
they might have psoriatic arthritis in addition to the psoriasis. And so there's certainly quite a few folks who don't have that traditional 10% body surface area who by all other criteria have severe psoriasis. So using just body surface area alone does exclude those folks who have particularly severe disease, but localized. To give you an example, folks that have limited psoriasis, but severe psoriasis would be people that may have severe scalp involvement or severe involvement of the palms and soles or severe involvement of the genital area. These are areas of the body that have a disproportional impact on quality of life for individuals. And these areas are particularly difficult to control with topical therapies alone. So it's a disservice, if you will, to the patients we care for to say, for example, somebody with only scalp psoriasis, but say it's horrible, it's severe, to tell that patient, you have mild psoriasis because your body surface area is low and you don't qualify for a systemic agent. I like to tell the story. I did that once in my practice and I almost got punched by the patient. They were so upset when I used the word mild to describe their psoriasis. And really what I meant and what's more appropriate is to say limited extent. But as I just pointed out, limited extent can be severe can have a big impact on patients' quality of life and on their life in general. So there's been a move to try to change the severity definition to not only include body surface area, but to include where the psoriasis is at. And if it's in one of those special areas that I just spoke about, scalp, nails, palm soles, genital face, that can be a criteria for defining severe psoriasis. And one last point, if they failed topical therapy, if they've gone through a number of different topicals for months or sometimes years, it's, it doesn't make sense to keep those patients excluded from systemic therapy just because their body surface area is not big. They have severe disease as defined by a failure of topical therapies. So we're trying to broaden this severity definition, get away from mild, moderate, and severe as a nomenclature. Thank you for addressing these issues around the use of PSA for mild, moderate, and severe disease. What efforts are being made through the International Psoriasis Council to move this reclassification of disease severity forward? So because we have seen this mild, moderate, and severe category leaving out patients with special areas, there's been a move in the last several years in particular by the International Psoriasis Council or IPC, to put together a statement. And this is what we did a few years ago. It's a consensus statement based upon these world experts in psoriasis who belong to the IPC discussing the issue. And we came up with a consensus statement to say that patients should be classified not by mild, moderate, and severe, but by candidates for topical therapy or candidates for systemic therapy. So we're trying to get dermatologists, payers, drug companies, the FDA, we're trying to get people to look at patients really in two forms or two flavors rather than three, mild, moderate, and severe. Really the crux of the issue is, is this a patient you're going to treat with a topical therapy or is this a patient you're going to treat 
with a systemic therapy. And we have defined that latter category as 10% BSA or more, failure of topical therapy or involvement in a special area. We have put this out there now in a publication. It's getting steam, I think. There are more and more people interested in trying to categorize psoriasis this way. And as I said earlier, it kind of makes sense from the patient care point of view. It doesn't really make sense to put people in three buckets from a practical point of view in the office. It really makes more sense to think of patients in one of two buckets. And based on what you just mentioned, in April 2023, you were part of a paper presenting real-world data and research around psoriasis in special areas or high-impact sites and quality of life. What were the results of the three-year patient survey that support the need for this change you've identified? Yeah, it's a great question. And because we put out this statement about how severity of psoriasis should be changed, we wanted to provide more data to support that statement. We knew from private practice, from taking care of patients, that this was the case. But we felt like we needed more data surrounding special area involvement and what the impact is of psoriasis in those areas on the patient. So for this particular point in this project, we joined hands with the National Psoriasis Foundation. So this was a joint IPC and NPF project. And what we did is that we utilized the NPF's annual survey data that they do every single year send out surveys to psoriasis patients, asking them about their disease. Data is collected every year. We looked at three years of NPF patient survey data. And in particular, what we focused on was whether patients had involvement on special areas or not. And then if they did, what was the impact on their quality of life? What was their impact on their ability to participate in social activities? And what was their incidence of depression? And so those were the three main measures. What we found in this recent paper was over the course of three years, surveying thousands of psoriasis patients, if patients had disease in one of the special areas or high-impact areas, they had a more likelihood of having depression, they had worse quality of life, and they were less likely to participate in social roles and social activities. And so very clearly, having psoriasis in those areas made it much more of an impact. The disease was much more impacting these patients' lives in a number of different ways. And so it's strong data. It's based on surveys directly from the patients, them telling us, if you have disease in these areas, it is not a good thing. It should not be considered just like any old psoriasis involving the elbows or the shins or the back. It does have a hit, if you will, on patient psyche, on whether they're depressed or not, just overall quality of life. So very strong data. And again, it kind of supports this idea that those patients really should be treated more aggressively, right? It's not about just how much they have, but, but where the psoriasis is as well. So yes, if they have it all over, they need internal treatment. But if they have it in these special areas, even if they don't have it all over, that steps them up into this candidate for systemic therapy. So you've already alluded to it, but doesn't the individual's perception of disease severity differ from that as defined by PSA and their healthcare provider? Yeah, it's a good question. 
Shiva because historically we've placed so much emphasis on objective physician recorded measures of psoriasis severity. So the classic ones we've discussed a lot already today is the body surface area. There's another one called the PASI, the psoriasis area and severity index. It's a common measure to measure psoriasis severity. And then another one is, is a global score, physician's global assessment. Again, a physician score. And in the problem with all of these is they don't take into account what the patient is saying, what the patient thinks. And so it's really problematic when you have measures of severity where the patient's not even involved in sort of the score, if you will, or the equation. And so our new definitions of severity are meant to try to overcome that, to involve the patients by saying, look, if they have special areas, we know that it's going to have a bigger impact on their quality of life. And so we're in some ways incorporating the patient view by talking about special areas as being important in treatment decisions. You mentioned depression in association with psoriasis in high impact areas. Given psoriasis is more than just a skin disease, were other comorbidities considered a factor in the impact of disease? I think we know now that comorbidities or other diseases that can go with psoriasis are pretty common, right? So the most common one that we see is psoriatic arthritis. And maybe the most serious one is heart disease and psoriasis, which can kill patients, can shorten their lifespan, and can really impact their quality of life. Now, with psoriatic arthritis, it's more of a comorbidity that we can incorporate in the office. We should be asking about joint disease, and the presence or absence of joint disease or joint pain should be incorporated in the decision to treat systemically or not. So an example would be, let's say someone with, with quote unquote, only psoriasis on the elbows and knees. So if one were not asking about psoriatic arthritis, the typical dermatologist would prescribe a topical therapy for someone with psoriasis limited to their elbows and knees. Now, it changes completely if that same patient with that same amount of skin disease has psoriatic arthritis, right? So if, if they're having problems with their hands, their knees, their low back, heel pain, trouble walking, that changes the equation. That patient becomes a candidate for systemic therapy, not necessarily based on their skin disease, but based on their overall picture, because now you want to treat the psoriatic arthritis. You're going to secondarily, you're going to treat the skin disease. And so th that will drive the decision, if you will, to go to a systemic therapy. So it becomes imperative. It becomes absolutely important to ask about the comorbidity of psoriatic arthritis or joint pain because it can influence the choice of therapy. Now with heart disease, what we see is that patients with more skin disease have more of a risk for heart disease. And we can't look into their artery, so to speak. So that's a less practical measure, if you will, or question to ask patients in terms of deciding what to do with treatment. What I normally say is when patients have widespread disease, I do tell them they're at risk for heart disease. And I do tell them that the therapy I'm going to give them should reduce that risk by knocking down the extensive skin disease. 
So it's in the discussion, but it's really not a primary driver, if you will, in deciding if the patient's a candidate for topical or systemic therapy. Let's now turn to a more in-depth discussion of special areas or high-impact sites. Can you provide more detail about what areas are considered high-impact sites and why? You mentioned a few of the special areas earlier. So, first of all, the terminology is shifting a little bit. These areas are typically called special areas. There is a move recently to try to call them high-impact sites rather than special areas, but you'll see both terms in the literature. And these are areas of the body that if you have psoriasis, there's two things that happen in these areas. Number one, they're grouped together and the things they have in common is that they're difficult areas to treat with topical therapies. And then the second thing that that I mentioned earlier is that the impact of having psoriasis in these areas has a disproportionate level of effect on quality of life. So let's talk first about the scalp. So Scalp is the most common body area affected by psoriasis. And think about it. If you have a thick, red, scaly plaque covering, let's say, most of your scalp with the hair overlying it, this is going to be incredibly difficult to treat with topical therapies because of the hair. Shampoos don't really work very well. Penetration of the scalp through the hair is difficult. You can't really see always what's going on there because of the hair. So treatment can be really, really tough, especially for severe scalp psoriasis. And then think about the quality of life impact too, right? So this is a highly visible area. You're going to have scales coming off, going onto the shoulders, going onto the environment around you. It's often as itchy and having someone continually itch their scalp and have it be bleeding having scales come off, you can't hide it on the scalp, right? So it's not an elbow or a back lesion that can be covered. And so one just has to simply imagine what it would be like with a scalp full of psoriasis. The next area that comes up a lot is palms and soles. And again, just for the listeners, just imagine a thick psoriatic plaque covering the palms or covering the soles. You're not going to be able to walk well if it's on the bottom of the feet. If it's on the hands, you're not going to be able to do anything well with your hands. You're not going to be able to work well. There's going to be scaling, bleeding, cracking of the hands. And the treatment, again, going back to the two features, treatment of palms and soles is is very hard because the skin is so thick. It's very hard to clear psoriasis with a cream or ointment when it is involving the palms or soles. So those areas in particular, the other ones that are often in the list, if you will, are the face, again, prominent, everyone can see it, genital area, very problematic, uh, difficult to deal with genital psoriasis in terms of any kind of intimate relationships. And then I think the nails as well. So nail psoriasis, classically and notoriously difficult to treat with any kind of topical therapy and really can impact function as well. We use our nails a lot in picking up things. And basically for me, Patients with bad nail psoriasis, that is a criteria for being treated with a systemic therapy alone. They don't even have to have psoriasis elsewhere. So they have these common features, a huge impact on quality of life and function. They're visible and very difficult to treat with a cream or an ointment. 
So you mentioned cream or ointment. What medications are typically used to treat areas with thinner skin, such as the face and the genitalia? So of the special areas where the skin is thinner, I would put in that category the face and the genital area. And here, when you have thin skin as sort of the background for psoriasis, you have to be in particular worried and concerned about topical corticosteroid use. So the reason is that topical corticosteroids are associated with thinning of the skin as a side effect. So in particular, the more potent topical steroids, things that really can knock down psoriasis well, are more likely to thin the skin. So dermatologists know this. They don't like to use potent topical steroids on the face or the genital area. And so they're often using less potent topical steroids or non-steroid options altogether in those areas. And what I'm suggesting with this whole program is that those patients are also candidates for systemic therapy as defined by a pill or a shot, right? So we don't have to treat these really tough areas, these special areas with a cream or an ointment. Why not offer these patients our great drugs that we have for systemic therapies? We have great pill options. We have great biologic shot options. These patients should have access to those particular therapies. So psoriasis affecting the genital area is often difficult for someone to talk about with their healthcare provider. It can be embarrassing or awkward. Do you have any tips for how to make this conversation easier? That is a great question also. (laughs) I think this came to the forefront for me a few years ago because I was working on a clinical study involving ixekizumab, which is a biologic. And the study was treating patients with moderate to severe genital psoriasis. So it was a genital psoriasis study specifically for people with psoriasis in the genitalia. And it was fascinating having patients coming in, talking to them directly about it, having that area examined closely throughout the study. And what we found is exactly what you just said. Patients can't talk about it well. They're embarrassed. They don't use the proper terminology for anatomy. They don't say the words penis and vulva, which for me as a physician are simply just anatomical areas of the body. And those are the the words we use to describe genitalia. Patients will say down there. I'll have something down there or in my private area or private parts. So they can't even say the words. <laughs> They're so uncomfortable. And, and obviously showing the area, it's not comfortable. Whenever I examine the genital area, I always have a chaperone in the room. It's really important to have a chaperone in the room. You don't want to ever have any claims of doing the wrong thing on the exam. It's really, really important to be forward with it. The way I do it is just simply try to demystify it. I use the proper anatomical terms. I don't try to be dramatic about it or beat around the bush, if you will. I just simply am straightforward with my language. And then I talk to patients before I examine them. I tell them, actually, that I'll have a chaperone in the room. We're going to look and then cover, look at another area, then cover. I tell them they won't be exposed for very long or overly exposed, that we'll just concentrate and, and get the information we need and then cover the area and move on. So I think it's something that I think dermatologists have to do better at. They have to do better at examining 
genitalia. They have to do better at talking about it. And again, my advice is just to do it in a straightforward manner, but with concern of the patient's concerns and doing it in a way that's respectful, but highly professional. You're right. I mean, being straightforward and respectful is so important. So moving on to other areas, you mentioned the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet and the scalp. What I hear you advocating is that treatment should move from topicals to systemics to treat these difficult to treat areas. Is that your approach for treatment of all these areas we've just spoken about? It actually is. And it's not so crazy. I mean, when I first started talking about putting those patients in the severe category or elevating those patients into the category of patients who have extensive psoriasis, I had pushback. I had folks saying, well, why would you use a biologic if someone with only this amount of psoriasis? And it's an easy answer for me. It's coming back to the patient. And when I ran a psoriasis clinic, I'd have countless numbers of patients who had severe scalp psoriasis or severe palm psoriasis, and they had never been offered a systemic therapy. They had never in their life been offered a biologic or a pill. And they came in with bags of ointments and creams and completely frustrated and had seen numerous dermatologists. And I would see them and I know right away that I could make this patient happy. I knew right away that this was gonna be a successful patient because I simply did not get hung up on the fact that they had low BSA. I listened to them and heard how frustrated they were and heard how bad their psoriasis was, and heard about their failures, and then started talking to them about treating them with a pill or with a shot. And it's almost like the sky opened up for them. The fact that I, for the first time, was talking about using drugs that are incredible, right, that can clear psoriasis, they had just never been offered those things before, simply because their body surface area was too low to meet the traditional criteria. So my conclusion over the years was that criteria is wrong. <laughs> it's not accurate. It's, it leaves out these patients that are suffering so much. So it's a simple sell for me. And I think it should be a simple sell for a dermatologist to say, treat the patient. Don't treat the body surface area. <laughs> Don't let the body surface area sort of dictate what you're doing. Treat the patient, listen to the patient and give them your best when it is warranted. You've discussed the recommendations for determining what and when treatment should be initiated. What do the recommendations mean for treatment decisions moving forward, such as insurance coverage? Well, in an ideal world, everything I'm saying would be straightforward. And dermatologists would offer pills or shots to the patients who need it. Now, what we're seeing in the real world, though, practically speaking, is that many insurances are following the FDA guidelines and are sticking to that 10% body surface area number before they will pay for a systemic therapy. Now, that rule is not very patient-centered, as I mentioned. So two of the other things we've been trying to do in recent years is to go to drug companies and actually sell, if you will, our new definition and encourage those companies to actually design clinical trials, clinical studies for their systemic therapy for patients 
who have special area involvement. And what we think and what we hope will happen is that when we have data from clinical trials that then payers, the insurance companies and so forth, will loosen up their criteria. And so that actually has happened. What we're seeing in the last several years is more and more studies are being done with pills and shots in patients who have special area involvement. So we've seen scalp psoriasis studies. Patients do not need large amounts of body surface area. They just, quote unquote, need to have moderate or severe scalp psoriasis, and then they're in the study. So we're seeing a number of those. We're seeing more genital psoriasis studies. We've seen some palm and soul psoriasis studies. And so I think there is a move. And now that we're trying to to thaw, if you will, that frozen criteria for the last 20 years, and it's happening. We're starting to see it more and more. And I do think payers, insurance companies and so forth, will begin to say, yes, this patient does deserve a biologic and we will pay for it. So we have more and more data saying that that's justified. And I think you'll see more and more movement in that area. Obviously, the recommendations will impact the quality of life for people with psoriasis. And do you feel that the right treatment will be initiated more aggressively, particularly for those who have less extensive psoriasis on their body? Well, you use the word aggressive, and I would argue that is the wrong word to use because that's buying into the old adage, if you will, that a systemic therapy is risky, it's too much for the disease, it's too aggressive. For me, patients with special area involvement and low BSA, the ones we're talking about today, to me, the word is appropriate. It's appropriate to treat them with systemic therapy based upon the impact of their disease on their life. And it's, I think, inappropriate to treat them with topical therapies because we know that those things don't work well in special areas. So we're trying to change the mindset of doctors, patients, payers, drug companies, trying to really elevate this in a mental point of view for people to think of psoriasis differently in more broad terms than just, oh, a little bit, a lot, but where is it? Where is it and how much of an impact is it having on our life? Thank you for that clarification. So given the new recommendations then, how do you feel that conversation should go between the healthcare provider and someone who has psoriasis, particularly in these high impact sites? Well, it's a good question. And I think it depends on the skill level of the dermatologist in the encounter. Because if a dermatologist is educated and is knowledgeable about how psoriasis involving special areas is impactful for patients' lives, they are going to bring it up. They're going to bring it up in the discussion. They're going to tell the patient, look, I know you don't have it all over your body, but look, you have it in areas that I know are particularly challenging to treat, that they can be tough on you, and this is what I want to do. I want to treat you with a pill or a shot. Now, in the other situation, let's say where the patient's going in and they're looking for something other than a cream or an ointment and the dermatologist may not be up to date or they may look at the patient, oh no, you only have 1%, 2% body surface area. You're not going to qualify. You don't deserve that or whatever. 
that's when I think the patient needs to be more proactive, needs to stand up for themselves, needs to say, look, I've already tried three or four topical therapies for three or four years or whatever it is. That's the patient that needs to say, no, I don't want another topical therapy. I, I want to be treated with the pill or shot, one of the best drugs in the world. I feel like I deserve it. So I think it depends on the dermatologist's acceptance of this criteria, whether they're practicing that way or whether they're still kind of practicing in the old way. And then from the patient's point of view, I always encourage patients to be their own best advocate. Don't necessarily accept the first answer that a dermatologist is going to give if that answer is just not the right answer or if it's not going to work well. Sometimes the patients know that, right? They right away, if they're getting another cream or oil, they know it's not going to work or not be the greatest thing for them. So that's where I think patients need to find their voice and be more assertive in trying to say what they were really looking for. Absolutely. And what activities are you and the International Psoriasis Council engaging in to help promote and educate healthcare providers and patients about these new recommendations? Oh, gosh, we've been doing many things now for several years. We're trying a multi-pronged approach. So we're trying to, number one, generate data and scientific publications on the topic of special areas or high-impact sites. And the paper that we published earlier with the National Psoriasis Foundation was a big step in educating the public and the, the derm community about the importance of disease in these areas. So research or publications is one of the things. We are having conversations with regulatory authorities, and that includes the FDA and the EMA, which is the FDA equivalent in the European Union, about how psoriasis is assessed in terms of severity, I'm trying to open it up, broaden it up using our definition. Another thing that's being done is societies around the world, dermatology societies like to make treatment recommendations and treatment guidelines. And we are actually now seeing around the world treatment guidelines being changed to incorporate special areas, patients with those areas as being candidates for systemic therapy. So we're seeing that changing now in treatment guidelines around the world. I mentioned earlier, we are talking to pharmaceutical companies, drug companies, about changing the criteria for entry into their drug studies, broadening those criteria, getting those special area patients into studies, and then patient education. Things like this podcast, other publications within the National Psoriasis Foundation, you know, getting the word out. It's not just how much psoriasis you have, but where you have it is an important issue as well. So we're doing everything we can because we really believe in these new severity criteria. I think that the main reason why it's important and what's driving me is that it's patient-centered. It's really thinking about the patients and incorporating the patient view, if you will, in broadening these criteria. So we're almost at time here, but one final question, Dr. Blauvel. What do you envision are the next steps for the recommendations? Do you have any closing comments you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I think at the end of the day, patients with psoriasis need to be treated appropriately, right? We know that this disease has a huge impact on people's lives. 
I'm a huge advocate for patients. I want to do the right thing with them. I hope every dermatologist wants to do the right thing and give patients their best. And we want to treat patients appropriately, not inappropriately. And we want to use the best drugs in the appropriate patients. We don't want to reserve them or keep them or hide them from patients who need them. It just doesn't make sense, right? And so I know a lot of this can be financial and there's insurance companies that don't want to cover. But I think at the end of the day, I hope insurance companies, dermatologists will do the right thing and give the right treatment for the appropriate patient. And that's all we're really asking. And what a wonderful message to end our podcast on. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. I enjoyed speaking with you and hopefully everyone learned something. Thank you, Dr. Blauvelt, for providing a look at how reclassification of psoriasis disease severity will impact the unmet needs of the psoriasis community. I so look forward to seeing the results of this change for reclassification as we move forward. To stay informed of new directions and research towards a change in management of psoriatic disease, sign up to receive the advanced e-newsletter from the National Psoriasis Foundation at psoriasis.org forward slash subscribe. And finally, thank you to our sponsor, Amgen, for their support on this Soundbites episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Soundbites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Soundbites on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Ghana, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.